Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way Podcast. podcast. Thank you for joining us. Fiddy, did you know that the average podcast only uh, puts out eight episodes? Most, or 44% only put out three episodes before they quit. And in fact, if we've made it more than 173 days, we're getting close to a year now, and 173 days is the average time that a podcast lasts. So we've beat the odds. We're survivors. So we're almost double the length of the average podcast then. Yeah. If we've been going for almost a year and the average only lasts for six months. That's right. That's pretty exciting. Look I think out, good Joe about Rogan, that. Jordan Peterson, here we come. <laughs> yeah, we just got to get those uh, mil- millions of listeners. That's right. Oh, <laughs> details. Minor details. Minor details. <laughs> No, I can hardly believe that we are already on our 50th episode. You know, we've had, we've had, oh, we did our 20th, we did our 40th, which was only 10 episodes ago. But to me, there's something very monumental about this 50th episode. It feels different somehow. It does feel special. You know, I was thinking about what keeps us going. And I would say there's a couple of things. Number one, we're passionate about the topic. We know this is important. And we yes. talk some more about that in a little bit. Uh, I think the second thing is that we're not worried about the results. We're trusting the Lord for results. So we're not going out and trying to advance the podcast to try to get numbers, to try to, you know, get donations or anything else. We're just trusting the Lord to take care of all of that. And we're just being faithful to steward the message that he's entrusted to us to whoever he brings along to hear it, and whomever. We're, and we're not gauging or deciding whether or not to keep going based upon the metrics. Right. We're, we're not saying, okay, well, if we don't get this many followers, there's no point in keeping on no. going. Because when we are coming from that stewardship mindset and understanding that we're not responsible for the results, we don't have to worry about that. And we uh, truly do believe that we've been called uh, to do this podcast, to get this message out there. And so whether there's one person listening or a million people listening, it, it doesn't matter. Speaking of one person listening, we I know for a fact that Kyle has listened to every single episode. Do you know anybody that's listened to every single episode? I do. So I, I know a couple of people that have listened to every episode. Uh, we've got Robert. Robert. Listen to every episode. Yeah. Cammy, listen to every episode. Uh, Jenny, uh-huh. Ron, Laverne, Jeff and Connie. We've got Arlo, Don, Marion, Deanna. Uh, so we've got quite a few people that have been listening to every episode, or uh, several of those people have actually been listening all the way since last new year's eve yes and the, and there might be some folks who we missed in that list we may not be aware email us 
nationsforjc at gmail.com. We give it all the time. Email us and give us a testimony. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you like about it. Give us a review on one of the platforms that where you're listening. Um, you know, if your review starts with better than Rogan, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not even in competition. If you've if you've listened to every episode or if you've been listening to our podcast since the beginning and we didn't list your name, we want you to get in contact with us because we want to hear why have you been listening this whole time? What have you gotten out of it? What are your thoughts? And we want to connect with you and get to know you more because these people we've listed, um, most we do know personally. Some have reached out via via email and things like that. So please, we would love to connect with any and all of our listeners. So whether you've been listening from the beginning or you're just getting all cut up, caught up now, we really would love to, to connect with you. And, and thank you for your listenership and your support through all of this. Yeah, and we're looking forward to uh, finding more and creative ways to share this message, to apply this message to different aspects of life. Right now, we're going through it uh, as a way of looking at people in the Bible and how they live the harder way. And today, we're actually going to share a little bit about how we live on the harder way as well uh, and what it is. So, so Matt, I wanted to start off and just say kind of why I, where this message came from. Yeah, that's a good place to start. You know, I was a pastor of a church for more than a decade, and and uh, it, I I literally received a PhD in ministry in that decade through the good things, the bad things, the mundane things, through my mistakes, the mistakes of others, and through the people that God brought along to um, speak into my life. And um, I remember that. Uh, after a couple of years in ministry, I had an idea of what a church service should be like. And there was a lot of material out in those days um, uh, letting us know um, what's going on in our lives and, and uh, you know, and, and how, to, how to run a church and what everything should look like. And I remember I'd get down on a Sunday morning and I mean, everything from announcements to you know, um, using computers for overheads was pretty was pretty new back <laughs> that was then. Fresh. We just we just moved away from the from the little the little slide the little projectors transparencies, and uh, the sound worked that day. That used to be a problem we'd have a lot. So I figured out one of the elder sons was coming in and playing music during the week when I wasn't around. <laughs> That's why our sound system was messed up every Sunday. Um, but everything worked. People were seemed to be moved by the Spirit. They prayed. We had a great worship service. I felt like the message was exactly what it was supposed to be. And nobody told me I was a heretic afterward. People came up for prayer. It was a great, perfect morning. And then I would be like, something's missing. Something's not right. We're doing all this stuff. What, what is wrong? What is wrong? And... Um, one day, uh, Don and Marion came into uh, the church to visit, and I'll never forget the weird conversation. I said, "I said, well, how can I serve you? I knew they were missionaries. How can I serve you? And Don looked at me and smiled, and he has these very piercing hazel, hazel blue, blue kind of steel gray kind of in that range, hazel eyes. And he, he looked me right in the eye, and he goes, brother, it's about what I can do for you. And I thought that was a really weird thing to say. But, uh, but <laughs> little did you know, just how so much he meant but, that. But I, the, I began to be around these folks and realize these folks are different. And I don't know what they have, but I want it because they've got something in their relationship with Jesus that I want. Mm. Now, you can, we can go ahead and tell me a little bit about how you started on the Harder Way, and I'll share some more. 
Well, obviously, being Scott's daughter, when all of this was going on, I was really just a small child. And so for almost as long as I can remember, there has been a, I guess you could say, awareness of the persecuted church and the need for ministry to the persecuted church, the need for getting Bibles into the persecuted church for essentially my entire life. I mean, I think I was probably around three when this was all first starting to happen for you. And so I can remember having these kinds of conversations, or I guess I could say these kinds of conversations being had around me, <laughs> even even from a young age, and being really having the blessing, I guess, to be part of a family where this was taught, because there are so many people who, if they knew about this, right, if they were told this information, if they were told about this need, they would be completely on board, but they just don't have the blessing or privilege of having that awareness. And I did and have for my entire life. And so it really has been a blessing and a privilege to be part of a family that has championed this message and has continually continually been on this journey of trying to live this harder way lifestyle, this faith over fear lifestyle, um, always purposing in our hearts to remember the persecuted church and what they're mm -hmm. going through, always uh, choosing to emphasize the importance of scripture and the importance of getting scripture to other believers and getting believers that have scriptures to open up those scriptures, right? And so, you know, my my journey with the harder way has really been very different than a lot of people's because I'm in the United States, probably one of the only people who has, has the, the ability to say I was raised in this, right? Which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that I'm very excited about with getting this message out to people is the fact that, I was about to say something really weird. I was about to say, we can create a whole new generation of me's. <laughs> Not me specifically. So tell me, Narcissus, how do you really feel? <laughs> we can create Put that mirror down, buddy. a whole generation of children who, like me, would have the privilege to be to be raised in this. Because I think that if you had young kids that are being given this message whether it's through their parents at home or they're being given it um, through their church, right? If you have kids that are being exposed to this here in the U.S. and being raised up, being taught how to live a life of faith over fear and how to choose the harder way, you want to talk about changing the world and changing our society and changing our culture, that's how you do it. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about getting this message across here in the United States is because I... I can only imagine the power that it would really have on that grand scale. So on the harder way, um, you know, there is, there is, uh, it's the harder way is really learning to live life by choosing the God way and living the God way versus living the good way or less, mm -hmm. right? There's the good way or less. And then there's the God way. Because there's a lot of range in that good way. And I think that really describes what was going on with the church. I was leading the church the a good, good way. way. Uh, it was good in the eyes of man. And perhaps some of it was even good in the eyes of God. But it wasn't 
the God way. And so my first introduction to living that way was when Anna Marion had said, we'd, we'd love you to go on a mission to us to carry your Bibles in to Cuba. Um, and I said, okay, but I don't have any money. I mean, um, my, uh, your mom was uh, in, still in school and I was, uh, um, uh, or she might've just been out of school, but she wasn't, wasn't able to work at that time. You guys were so real little and she was taking care of you all the time. And I was, um, you know, making $400 a week gross before self-employment tax. So 15% comes off of that and then tithe another 10% and then, and then taxes. And it was like, there wasn't much left and there certainly wasn't thousands of dollars to go, uh, deliver Bibles to the persecuted church. And Don said, well, how about you just decide you're going to do it and then we'll trust, trust the Lord to provide. That's a new way of thinking about things. Yeah. So you're the way of faith. How are you going to pay for this? I don't know, but God knows. I don't know what the Lord knows. Okay. That's, that's kind of like our slogan for the harder way. And, um, which way takes more faith for you to save the money uh, and, and then go on a mission or for you to already have it and then go on a mission or for you to step out in faith and say, I'm being obedient. I know you're calling me, Lord. You provide the money. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's obviously the harder way. That's the way that chooses. It, it requires faith. And so, um, and again, at that time, we didn't really even have this terminology. So I was describing these things different ways, but it was, this is what it was. And so I remember that it was the night before we were supposed to leave. And it wasn't until a few hours before we were, we were just getting ready to go to bed. Uh, and then I was going to get up in the morning and head to the airport by faith. And I didn't have my money and at the last minute. The last $600 came in. Wow. And I didn't go out and fundraise. I just let people know there was a need. Yeah. Which is, and then we've carried that through. That's the, that's a first key in the harder way is finances. Um, recognizing whether it's a Bible courier mission or it's our Bible school that we run, uh, two separate ministries, or it's just our lives in general, we don't fundraise. Um, you're not, you know, you didn't, you didn't see anything from us on giving Tuesday. You won't see anything from us coming up to the beginning of the year where we're hitting your, your email box and all that kind of stuff. But there are people, as the Lord moves on people's hearts, they provide. And what's great is, when you approach your funds that way from that steward's mentality of God owns it all, he'll apportion to me what he wants me to have and to use, and then he'll show me how to be faithful with it. God gets all the glory. And we live those words of of, of John the Baptist that he spoke about Jesus. He must become greater. I must, I must become, become less. less. And that's what happens. And that sounds like such a self-abasing statement, but it's actually a joyous way of living because... When he's when I'm when I'm greater, I'm kind of I kind of make a mess of things. We all do. Yeah, we all do. Now I was thinking about one of I believe it was probably the second career mission you went on, and I was young, and you were getting things together. And at that time, there was still some room, kind of in the suitcases, to bring some things that weren't all Bibles, right? Like as you, as many Bibles as you can get. And then in between the cracks of the Bibles, mm -hmm. you know, put in some other little things. And I remember you had asked me, I'm thinking I must've been maybe five or six, I would be assuming. And you had asked me, is there, you know, are there any toys or any things that you would want to give to these children? Because these children, you know, they're living in poverty. They don't really have anything. And you asked me if I wanted to give them anything. 
And then you clarified and you said, but if you want to give them anything, it needs to be something that you like. Right. You're like, don't just don't just give me something that to give them that you would be just donating to the thrift store or throwing away. Right. And if there's something that you feel like you want to give to these kids. And I remember I had my Polly Pocket dolls. Oh, yeah. And, you know, because those are small and I really loved playing with those. And I thought, oh, these would be great because they're small. They can fit. Little girls who are my age will really like them. And I sent you with these Polly Pocket dolls. And I was thinking about that because that's a principle in the harder way, in, in this idea of being a steward, not being an owner, that is really is really important, which is when we recognize that everything belongs to God, we have to hold everything with an open hand, right? And so that comes with with giving of our finances, of our time, of our, you know, our, our relationships, our resources. We have to hold everything. Where we live. Where we live. It all has to be with an open hand. Right. And so even from the beginning, you know, you were doing your best to instill those principles. And so I was thinking about that and this idea of the harder way and realizing just how counterintuitive it is. And I think a good reflection of the good way and the God way, because donating anything is good, is good, right? Anything that I could have given to send with those kids would have been good. Like these kids don't have anything. And even if it's something that I would have gotten rid of, it's better to give it to these kids, right? That right. would be a good thing. But a God thing is to say, Let's be self-sacrificing, right? What's something that you do like that you think that other children would get mm -hmm. uh, enjoyment out of and then taking it taking it from there. But I think that's a really important principle and one that we've tried really hard to get across in this past year of doing this podcast is everything belongs to God. And if that's the case, then he gets to add or take away at any time. And we, we have to always have, have an open hand with everything. We really do. Um, well, you know, um, when I went on that first mission and I had that feeling that something's not right, not knowing that it was just that I was doing ministry the good way and not the God way. Um, well, some of the God way. I don't want to say completely not the God way, but some of, but not completely. So it was, you either, I think you're either all in or you're all out, generally speaking. You know, it's, you're either in or out. And I wasn't all in, um, on that road of faith. And so I got to, I got overseas, got to Cuba. And at that time, a lot of the guys who had suffered in the early sixties under, um, under, uh, Castro, under Castro and his regime. Because, you know, the Castros, they, they were pretty stinky about what they did. They had kind of a, they came in, uh, America was so excited that America sent people over to help them celebrate their revolution, uh, uh, to be free from the dictator Bautista. And and uh, Castro was kind of like, I'm not a Marxist, what are you talking about? 
And there was a couple of years where they had this government that was running, but it was not really having any power. There was a shadow government running it. And, and then all of a sudden, in 62, Castro gets up and, as the Cubans say, declared to us the communist nature, the Marxist nature of our revolution. And surprise, we're all Marxists. And then things got really bad. Yeah. And the churches began to suffer. And a lot of the pastors uh, in, that, in that generation had really been looking to Castro to deliver them from a... And listen up, folks. There's some parallels here. Stay, stay on this. Here's your political talk. They had been looking to Castro to deliver them from the perversion and the corruption that the American mafia had uh, had influenced Batista with. So the whole country was really just awash in corruption. The standard of living for the average Cuban was pretty high. It was actually higher than the average American at that time. Uh, I mean, they're still they're very poor. The people that worked in the in the cane fields and whatnot, in the tobacco fields. But there was a lot of wealth there, and uh, they had these big casino hotels, and Bautista was really corrupt, and the Christians were really upset about it, and they were looking for a deliverer. But instead of looking to Jesus, most of them looked to Castro. Because they were looking for a political solution. Right. First they looked to Frank Pace from Pais, and then they looked to Castro when Frank Pace was murdered. Um, the official record is that he was uh, murdered by uh, the police, but people that were there uh, that knew all of these people told me personally that it was actually Che Guevara that murdered Frank Pace, uh, Frank Pace from Pais. Anyway, a uh, little tidbit you won't get anywhere else. <laughs> but but during that season of persecution, the men were all taken away. Many Christians were killed. They went to prison for years. It was a really awful time. And it formed and forged those Christians into something really, really special. Men who were not afraid to die. Men who were um, who were real servants of the Lord and who learned how to live this harder way. Although they couldn't really articulate it. If you ask them, what's your secret? They couldn't tell you. But um, And that's where Don comes in. Don has a way of listening to people and really hearing what they're saying. And he would listen to them and they would share their stories and they would share what's going on. And he would send and, and then it was like the Lord had given him an insight into how to apply that to our American culture. And, uh, you know, about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I picked, picked up that ball and started running with it. But it was, but even back then God started forming me and I saw in these guys that had suffered and been persecuted uh, and lived under communism for decades, I saw in them something that I didn't have. And I was like, what, is, what is that thing? Well, number one, I saw real fellowship among Christians that I wasn't seeing. Number two, I saw churches where everybody had to participate. It wasn't like wasn't, the pastors weren't professionals. They might be full-time yeah. pastors, but they weren't professionals. They were, you know, it was a real sacrifice to be a pastor. I was like, oh, I, I get that part. And then... um they had this relationship with the Lord that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. They had a different way of seeing persecution than I did. They saw it as well. When things get bad, the church grows. I mean, right. You, you, so we, that count that counterintuitive right idea. God's moving. Good things are happening. So there was persecution was a part of their gospel. Yeah, and it's not a part of the American gospel. And that's why we started this podcast, and why we know that this message is so important is because. We see the church in America today is struggling so much. We see 
right now we're experiencing the greatest religious shift that America has ever seen. Um, Pastor last week was saying, and it's uh, from a book, I think it's called The Great Dechurching. I haven't read it, so if you read it and don't like it, don't come for me. But uh, I've, I've read portions of oh, it I'm and, 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 and read some of the statistics that are listed in the book. Um, but my pastor was mentioning it, and he was saying that the greatest shift religiously has happened in America. It's greater than the Civil War reconstruction, the second and great awakenings the first and second great awakenings combined even greater than that is the religious shift that is happening in america today and i was listening to a podcast just a couple days ago that was saying the same thing i think it if i'm looking back it may have been the author of that book who is being interviewed but talking about how we're seeing so many people who are leaving christianity or who are leaving the church mm. and What's super interesting is that we assume it's all deconstruction, right? Because that's what's all over social media. Right. But in this podcast that I was listening to, the guy was saying that when asked the most, the, the biggest reason that people are leaving the church is actually because of moving. Like they moved to a new place. And they just didn't get involved and they in the church. they didn't get involved in another church. And you might think like, oh, well, that's not so bad. They didn't just decide not to be Christians or anything. Here's the problem. That reveals a huge problem in our Christian culture in America, which is that when people move and they're not plugged into a church, they then realize that church was not and is not that important to them. They realize that they don't miss it. They realize that they don't feel like they're missing out on anything. Well, the other thing besides moving was COVID. Yeah. And that COVID season also drove people out of the church. And they listen, if you can replace church with a with a video experience, then that's the thing. You're not you're you've got something good, but is it the God way? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and listen, let's let's come back and address that in just a minute. You know, we're we're on our uh, our fiftieth uh, episode. I got a film. We're going to go really long, so let's break this into uh, episode A and episode B for those who listen to us on their commute and stuff. <laughs> let's stop right here, and then we'll pick it back up in the in the middle of the conversation and do another fifteen or twenty minutes for episode fifty, part B. Before we go to part B, let's take a moment to hear from our fictitious sponsor, Patty Cake Cookies. We'll be right back with you in sixty seconds. Patty Cake Cookies, Patty Cake Cookies, Patty Cake Baker, you're a famous man. Well, all I do is bake them just as good as I can. What did you seek for Mr. Patty Cake Man? I sample them, ladies, one from each pan. Children's not shoving, there's more in the oven. Hey, Mom! Put Patty Cake Cookies on your shopping list. Oatmeal, chocolate chip, and sugar mist. I'm seeing varieties on your market shelf. Why, they're so good, you're lucky I don't eat them all myself. Patty cake cookies. Patty cake cookies. Patty cake cookies. Patty cake cookies. Blue cellophane package, you can see what you buy. What makes the taste of good pay? 
Well, to tell the truth, I sample them two from each pound. Okay, I know you're hungry now. Run back and find yourself a couple of patty cake cookies, and let's get back to it. Time for part B. Okay, so we're talking about the COVID uh, episode and how it impacted the church as well. And I think the challenge, the 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 thing that was missing in the American church that was revealed during COVID was that we had no concept of how to live the harder way. And Absolutely. we had we didn't have a value on being a part of the body of Christ because what's happened is, and this goes, I'll tell you, 1974 is a significant year in the church. Willow Creek was started. A lot of Bible colleges were started. We're right in the, at the end of the, or in the tail end of the Jesus People movement, and it's impacting the world. Those guys are all getting through Bible college, going and doing stuff. And people were doing things a good way. You know, Willow Creek's a great example. They did a lot of stuff a good way, but they didn't always do it God way. There wasn't accountability. There wasn't the uh, um, the emphasis on real spiritual formation of drawing people closer to Jesus. Of there was no persecution in their gospel, um, and that and, and that their massive success infiltrated the church across the United States. Uh, echoes of it are reverberating to this very moment in the churches. Mm -hmm. And so what a lot of people are leaving is not Christianity and it's not church. What am I going to say next? It's the business of church. It's the business of church. And it's that false Christianity. uh, And I'm drawing a blank on the word right now. It's the moralistic moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism, which was basically, here's a sermon on five steps on how to be a good person. And yes, there's a God and we call him Jesus and we believe in the Holy Spirit, but it's just, it's really, you treat him kind of like he's just out there. Yeah. Like you pray to him, ask him for help and stuff, but you know, it's whatever. And your feelings, your feelings are really important and here's how to work on your feelings. Yeah. You know? And so. How to be your best you. How to be your best you. Exactly. And you look at Jesus and you're like. Jesus experienced normal human emotions, but his emotions never ruled him. Mm-hmm. And that moralistic therapeutic deism tells us, let your emotions rule you. You know, yeah. put those first. You know, as a dad, as a father, my emotions and feelings, they don't even rate second. Right. Because, right, because the Bible tells us to, for, to, for a husband to love their wives as Christ loved the church and lay his life down and laying his life down, down for, for her. her, right? Well, what does it mean to lay your life down? It means to lay down privileges. It means to lay down preferences. It means to lay down your feelings, right? It's one thing that in a marriage, it's healthy to share, you know, this upsets me or, you know, I don't really like this and, the, and those kinds of things at the appropriate time. But if you're letting your feelings govern you, you're letting your feelings rule you, you're letting your feelings decide, or the first filter of your decision process is your feelings, you're not emulating Christ, you're emulating man. Man will tell you that's good. Jesus's life tells you it's good to have feelings. Don't let them rule you. Don't let them be the filter through which you see the world. Let's be focused like Jesus was, be focused on God's mission for your life, God's purpose for your life. And if you have a moment where you're in a garden and you're, you know, you're about to die and you're like, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. 
always finish with, nevertheless, thy will be done. These are my feelings, Lord, but I'm laying them down for the mission. And that's what courier, Bible courier work is like a lot. Because when you go to the border, you're scared. Yeah. And you've got all these Bibles. You know you could get in big trouble. We've gotten in big trouble before. Um, and you know that, uh, you know, a lot can go wrong. And uh, it's it's not, it's not, if you filter that experience through your emotions, you'll never do it. It's true. You have to have that Gethsemane experience. Nevertheless, thy will be done. I'm just going to go and offer myself as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. You know, that's, this is my worship, Lord. I showed up and then that's, and therein lies the victory. And showing up. That's right. That's this podcast. This podcast is a living sacrifice. It's not, we're not offering it to the Lord as, look, isn't it so great? Please take it as a fragrant offering and then tell us how great we are and make us prosperous. Mm -hmm. This offering is, Lord, we're doing that. We're doing what we believe you've called us to do. We're showing up. Here it is. Do with it as you will. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. And we really think that with this podcast and with this message, our biggest goal is just to encourage people to build their lives around Jesus, to live lives that are focused and centered on scripture to live lives where they're consistently choosing faith over fear to live lives where they're choosing the God way instead of the good way. Um, is so that when persecution comes, because we are told that all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So whether that is on uh, a grand, large scale or just uh, smaller persecutions that you encounter in your day to day life, any who seek to live a godly life, will be persecuted. And so if you're able to choose the harder way now, then you're going to be okay when that persecution comes or when that persecution increases. And that's a big part of why we we do this podcast. Okay, so you, you said something really important. Can you re repeat that scripture again? Yes, uh, it says, all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will and you, if you've listened for those of you that have listened to uh more than one episode of this podcast you will have heard heard that because we mentioned it's in our intro and we also mention it very frequently in our episodes that we are told will be persecuted that's a definite right so you might be looking at your life and you might be saying why am i not persecuted well Remember that persecution is controlled by those who seek to restrict or modify our behavior. But whether or not we're, and they impose restriction, mm -hmm. and then how we respond to restriction is up to us. And then their response is typically some kind of persecution. And you might say, well, okay. Um, I don't see Christians being lined up in the street and, um, you know, and, and, and flogged or whatever. Well, you you don't now, but I keep hearing phrases like Christian nationalism and Christo-fascist and things being thrown around. And those are a prelude to a really bad day. If, and so so be praying that the Lord would spare us that. But it, But persecution is the world system saying to you that it recognizes you as a foreign substance in its perverse world and it wants to cast you out. And so 
persecution starts off really, really small. It can be something as simple as uh, a family member, uh, well, and this uh, we experienced this, family members, for their convenience, wanted to have family celebrations on Sunday morning. Or my son's baseball team uh, league wanted to have games on Sunday morning. Well, our team forfeited every game that was on a Sunday morning. We forfeited. We didn't, and we didn't, and we didn't have. We didn't do the practices on Sunday morning, and um, there was a. The the persecution was, I was spoken ill of. Mm. Um, you know, for, fortunately, the two of the coaches were Christians as well, and they and they were with me um, on on that. But I was spoken ill of. Some of the parents were mad at me. Um, you know, uh, it, it tarred my reputation among men but not in the kingdom. And I wasn't a jerk about it. I just said, no, we just can't do that. It goes against our religious beliefs. And so um, we're going to, we're going to do this other thing. So that was a small persecution. But most of us, when that very first restriction comes, those little tiny restrictions come, we quit right there. Mm. The harder way involves saying, okay, Lord, we're not going to do, we're not going to show up for these baseball games on Sunday, hypothetically, or we're not going to show up to this family event Sunday morning. We'll tell them, hey, it's two hours out of town. We can be there in the afternoon. We want to be with you. We have church on Sunday morning. It's an important commitment to us, right? Um, uh, we, can, we can make those decisions uh, and, and on the small things now and then deal with uh, the, the consequences uh, and 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 choose the harder way. How am I going to be right with my family and not be at this thing on Sunday morning? I don't know, but the Lord knows, right? And in in time, that harder way muscle grows. That muscle that helps us walk the, the way of faith, the God way rather than the good way. It grows and becomes stronger, and it becomes and we become more prepared for other things that may come. Yes, definitely, and that is. The whole point of getting this message to people now right, is that if you can learn to make these decisions now, when there are times when your hand is being forced, you're going to be used to it. You're going to know how to deal with these things and you're going to be able to endure uh, when when that persecution comes or when that's something that you uh, begin to experience in your own life. Right. And we want to look at things like, you know, in that, how do we be like Jesus? How do we how do we respond to these things like Jesus? Because let's be honest, you know, we our tendency as Americans want to fight for our rights. Right. Jesus never demanded his rights. You know, uh, I remember Don telling me about a friend of his who was uh, basically told you couldn't wear his belt buckle that had a Christian had a cross on it or a Christian fish, and he told the boss, "Well, I'm going to wear it." Um, I, I want to, I want to wear it. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything or cause any problem. I don't want it. And, and that's our rule in the workplace. No religious iconography of any kind. And he said, okay, well, you're the boss. It's your right to make that rule. Um, and, uh, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. I'm not going to sue you or anything because I think you're, you're, as long as you're applying it to everybody, that seems very fair to me, but I don't want to work in a place where I can't, you know, where buckle with a Christian fish on it. So I'm going to go find a different Caesar to serve basically. Yeah. And I, that's right. Didn't demand his rights. Didn't sue the guy or anything. He, he followed Jesus prescription. He kicked the dust off his feet and went on to another town. Yeah. Right. Okay. 
So um, really quickly, in this last couple minutes, let's just do one thing. Uh, I'm going to tell, or, or unless you want to go first, how do you live the harder way in your life? Well, I think it looks different for everybody, but I mean, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard to say what it really looks like because it's not a one size fits all situation. It's important. Depending it? on yeah. the day, it's going to look differently because it's just when you're choosing to live the harder way, it's a matter of asking where's the faith. And I think for everybody, the faith is going to be in different places and certain things are going to be harder. Right. So, right. So, you know, for me, I'm one of those people that going and being involved in a Christian community and doing that kind of stuff that comes super easily to some people and doesn't involve any type of faith. For me, that takes a lot of faith because I have a lot of fears tied up in that. Right. And so for me, choosing the harder way sometimes involves, you know, putting myself out there more or choosing to 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 join things or be part of things. But in general, it looks like choosing to pray about everything before I do it and, and having to ask that question of where's the faith. Well, and that's for me, too. It's it's identifying my fears. Right. And as a father, as a husband. The fears that accompany that are obvious, right? Right. Fears about your children's lives, fears about finances, fears about things being broken, fears about do we have a roof over our head, fears about income. You know, those are all things that we, uh, the the, uh, uh, the head of a household could relate to. And so each one of those fears, I have to lay before the Lord and I have to say, okay, Lord, where's the faith in this? Yes, you know, could I go out and make in the, well into the six figures on my own and pretty much take care of all of our all of our struggles or fears or worries? Yeah, pretty much I could without a lot of effort. Well, I take that back. It probably takes some effort, but but I don't want to I don't want to sound too uh, too uh, braggadocious on that. But what is the harder way? And this is a, a person specific or family specific question. For me, the harder way is to not use my degrees, my, not use my skills, but to, to, to lead through my weakness, mm. to trust the Lord for his financial provision, and to be able to have a grateful heart. You know, that's what Paul says in, in, in to the, the church in Philippi when he says that he's found the secret, right? He's got, I, I know the secret to be happy in all circumstances right i can do all things the lord christ who strengthens me well he's not saying i can go jump over a building because saying is he's just been talking about the fact that whether i get my needs met or not whether i've got money or not and i've had both whether i'm welcome in a town or not whether i've got to go work a job you know or or uh, we call it you know his tent making or i can just live off of the money that people are giving me to do ministry whether i have faithful companions or or uh, unfaithful companions it that it, it makes no difference because in any of those seasons i can make it through christ who strengthens me and that really is um the way to live the harder way is that yeah. recognition that if i and, and so we practice by identifying our fears, choosing the way of faith. We know the way of faith when we say, 
when we, when the when the answer says uh, how's that going to happen i don't know but the lord knows you know you've chosen the way of faith you know you've chosen the harder way and the reward is this that when you choose that way everything that you have you know comes from the master's hand and everything that comes from the master's hand builds your faith and grows your faith and even those times when the master's hand is empty you still rejoice simply for his touch and for his presence. Amen. And I think that's a great place to end our 50th episode. We want to thank all of you listeners, uh, those who have been there from the beginning, those who maybe this is your first episode. We're so thankful for each and every one of you. And uh, here's to 50 more episodes. Amen. And listen, remember to email us, nationsforjc at gmail.com, and let us know if... Uh, you've been listening uh, to every episode, and we didn't mention your name because we'll mention you on our 51st podcast yes. when we talk about how somebody else in the Bible, we haven't decided yet, has lived the harder way. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Harder Way podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to the Harder Way podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.